Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show today. I do have some people I want to thank, but before I do that, (coughs) I would be remiss to not remember that today is September 11th. A day that changed what would happen in the United States. I still remember, I remember very clearly that horrific event at the World Trade Center. And so I want to say today to all families that lost someone or to friends, we did not forget you. We will never forget you. Um, I have so many people that knew people. Uh, actually, my guest, Jimmy Crin, is on already. How about you, Jimmy? Or Did you know anyone? I, I didn't know uh, anyone in, in the towers, uh, Joyce, but I do remember that day because I remember being on the air uh, that morning, and I remember when the first plane hit, we, they thought it was uh, an accident, a commuter plane, when the second plane hit is, is when it, it got serious. And, and as that unfolded. I remember throughout the day just thinking of those heroes, uh, those brave firemen and policemen that when people were walking out of the building, they were walking up the building to save people. And I just remember that and thinking about that, how powerful that was. That there was you know, in, all the e- in all the evil that was around that, that attack, there was also God. There was also good also with those brave people that saved, saved a lot of people. We lost so many but so many were saved on the backs of those, uh, those brave men and women. It's amazing. You know what? And I, I, I'm glad that you said that because he's right. Jimmy's right. I also want to thank all of those people. They were the champions. I mean, people that went into those towers. Oh, and, you know, and several of them, of course, lost their lives. But, you know, they... they it is something how Americans come together, you know, during the, the bravery, the yes. bravery. It's amazing, Joyce, that bravery to walk up that building, knowing it could collapse. It's just the bravery. It just goes to show you the backbone of our country and the spirit of our country. They represented it that day. Really did. Yeah. And I knew the people that lived in New York. I knew how they would come back and be so resilient. But I just want to say uh, that, you know, I think about this every September 11th. I think about people that lost people. And then, as Jimmy said, I, how important it is to think about people that did what they did to save other people. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure I couldn't let this show go by being this on September 11th without saying that. And uh, I am so excited that today we have Jimmy Crenn, who, by the way, uh, Aaron, my uh, engineer, said before, hey, Joyce, get ready to rock and roll with this show. Well, it's not hard to do with Jimmy Crenn, who was on WDVE, talk about the rock station, so it's not hard to do with having him on, and he is also not just a premier broadcast personality, but 
He is a premier stand-up comedian and just a wonderful person. I'm always so excited to have him on, but then I always feel kind of nervous. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I have Jimmy Crenn on. You know, what's he thinking I sound like? This guy's a radio star. Um, but he's so, he's so uh, humble and so nice to be with us today. Uh, and getting back to what I was talking about, isn't it amazing, Jimmy, like how we all remember exactly where we were on September 11th? Yes, it really is, Joyce. Everybody out there listening, it, it was one of those, those moments that are... It was our Pearl Harbor. It was our day. The resilience of our country and every and all the bravery, like we said, yeah, we all remember that. Everybody, you're right. You're right. And how you describe that? You know, I was at my office and uh, in the conference room. We had a TV, and, and just a, a little bit of trivia here. Since that day, that that happened. I have always had a television in my office, always, just because that was so haunting that day. And, you know, you get this, I always want to know what's happening. But my husband called and said, you know, there's been a terrible accident at the World Trade Center. And so I turn on the TV, and when you see the first plane hit, it's just what you said. I thought, oh, no, what a terrible accident. How terrible. Mm. Then you see the other plane, and right then you know, oh, my God, this is a terrorist. I mean, you know immediately this is something really, really bad. And the person, a customer of mine that was visiting that day, there is this look on his face of just total pain and agony. And he said to me, Joyce, and I use the phone. My daughter lives in New York City. And thank God, you know, she she was okay. Wow. But yeah, I, I don't, I mean, you know, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you remember. And you know what? Here you are. You had to talk about it on the radio. Y- yes. It was uh, very, uh, very intense. It was very intense because I'm a comedian and I had to switch into uh, a serious mode. Because uh, there was nothing more serious than that, Joyce. And you, you know what else is amazing when you were, when you were talking about that, Joyce? Is, uh, and there's no way we could ever prevent it. You know, or no, there's no, prevent, no perfection out there. But uh, it really is amazing how great our country uh, responded in that we, they're able. There's so many people today who, through the years, through all those years, have, have done a great job. You know, they're doing their best. And I'm sure a lot of those people have sacrificed their lives, some of these people, in uh, our country to, to keep us from having another attack. They thwarted so many attacks, the FBI and CIA and, you know, how it brought them together and, and made them stronger. That, that actually made our country stronger in, in certain ways, that attack. It's pretty amazing. It is. Well, as you mentioned, you are a comedian uh, and broadcast uh, personality. So here's my first question. When you were a young boy, did you ever think this? Like, did you ever think, I want to be a radio star? Or did anyone ever encourage you uh, that, hey, you're really funny, you know, you really should be somehow in entertainment? Uh, did that ever happen when you were growing up? No, you know what's funny, George? No, I come from a blue-collar family. Uh, no, and My grandfather was a trumpet player, and he was an entertainer, and I was always... 
would listen to him and listen to stories about his days on the road as an entertainer. So I was always intrigued with it, but I didn't find out till I was about 12 or 13, I would start entertaining at parties at her home, at Christmas parties, Easter, whatever, gatherings, and I would make the family laugh. And it was a powerful feeling uh, to be able to do that at will. And I knew I had something, but I had no idea I could do it for a living. I never thought of doing it for a living, and no one else, everyone thought it was funny, and it was a powerful thing, but to do it for a living was like a million, million miles away. Uh, and it just kind of just kind of happened as I got older, as I, I kept at it, and it was like almost a hobby. And then it turned into a career when the, uh, after college, I actually had a Bachelor of Science in Business, of all things. Could you imagine me as a businessman? I'd be, I'd be fired from 20 corporations by now, <laughs> goofing around. I'd never well, be good at that. So, you know, and somehow the comedy clubs, or what did it? The comedy club boom happened, and every city had three or four clubs, and that enabled me to go out on the road and actually make a living at it from the start, right out of college. My poor mom and dad, here I have a Bachelor of Science degree and, a, and all that debt from college and at IUP, and, and there I go and say, hey, I'm going to be a comedian. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I go out on the road, and uh, fortunately... Uh, it went well. Fortunately, it went well. I became a headliner in about two years and started to make a living, at a full, you know, full-time living and developing my act from there. So that kind of got me ready for radio. But I never, I never thought of radio ever, not for years, not for years, until till I discovered DV. It was years. You know, I've always thought stand-up comedians are so talented and have so much courage. I mean, isn't it nerve-wracking, like, to go out there and be thinking, oh, my God, I've got to make these people laugh, you know, through this whole thing? It, it, you know what? It is, and I think it's a combination of things. If you look at, I'd say most, I can't speak for everybody, but I'd say most stand-up comedians, if you looked at their psyche, if you looked at my psyche, you're going to see someone who has very high anxiety. It's you, so you have to have this fear, this incredible fear, along with having awareness and perception combined. And that anxiety somehow channels into comedy I, I, as I look back and analyze it. it. And a lot of us go through ups and downs, depressed and things like that and, and dysfunction. And I think that's where the comedy comes from. You, uh, somehow, even through depression or through anxiety, I can get to the broader perspective. So that kind of lets me... Uh, uh, almost see a story so I could tell a story just from seeing it from a broader perspective and most comedians are like that where they can pull themselves even though they're feeling it they can somehow pull themselves to the broader perspective uh, to see what's going on in life they can turn that anxiety or depression or and, and you could almost just out of relief it's almost like a release valve you, can, you could almost see the comedy I can actually see the comedy in it and, and then you write it down and just spew it out. And then, uh, you know, it takes a while to develop jokes, but not too long because you kind of have it already in your mind, but it's getting up on stage, doing it over and over until you perfect it for, for your act. But, but it's basically, that's, that's a common theme, I think, with comedians, having high, high anxiety, a lot of fear, and, and a natural thing that God, like I said, God blessed me with that, that talent. You know, that's interesting you would say that because there, you know, I've heard this before, how different comedians uh, battle depression or whatever, and I've never been able to totally understand that. Okay, how could you 
be in that state and yet go up on stage and make everyone laugh. And do you you think then it's sort of like cathartic for the person? I you know, do you think the yes. comedian? Yes, you do. Yes, we're pain from pain. The opposite of pain from pain comes pleasure. There's that thin fine line between pain and pleasure. So through my pain, I can somehow get that, like I said, get that pleasure out to people to get them to laugh at their pain. Because if I can make my way through it, they're saying they can make their way through it. It's almost the comedian is a person, a man or woman on stage who is just saying, hey, we're all in this together. Because if you listen to anyone says, whether it's a one-liner or a story, it's something that the audience can relate to, and how they relate is, we're all in this together. You know, if I tell a story uh, about my family, and, and maybe they don't have the exact family, but they'll have somebody similar, you know, some crazy uncle, crazy aunt, or whatever I'm talking about. You know, my act mostly is storytelling now. Uh, I do do impressions also, but mostly storytelling. But, and so that's where they relate. I think they relate to those stories, and that's how, I think that's how a comedian does connect through that pain somehow. Okay, you shouldn't have told me this. That you do impressions. Yes. Oh, yeah. Who do you, who do, you do, do impressions it. of? Well, I do Jack Nicholson. Everyone does Jack Nicholson. But I was watching The Departed yesterday, and I just can't get him out of my mind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love people that can do impressions. I do. That, that to me, is like, I, I just love it. I love it. And so have you always done that also? I, I have. And it's an interesting thing. I, I usually, I feel like the voice or, or I'll hear the character and then I'll, I'll see something that relates. Like, for instance, my one dog, Larry, he's like really laid back. And uh, I'm telling you, he's a chihuahua. He's about seven pounds and he's laid back. And, and I, I look at him and his face, he always looks a little out there. He looks like Matthew McConaughey to me because he's always so laid back. So I'll just look at him and think about that voice, and, and I'll practice going, oh, all right, all right, all right, that's right, that's right. You know, Matthew McConaughey, just keeping it real, real, Jimmy. I just, I'm just a dog, man. I'm just a dog. Relax, you know what I mean? All right, all right, all right. So I'll just start doing a voice with Larry. You know, I usually just practice during the day and just feel the voice and, and somehow write the character. I usually you know, use people around me, dogs, whatever. But I'll practice usually, uh, you know, just listening over and over also for a while. Uh, to get the voice down. Some come quick, some take a little time. Uh, so I kind of mix them through my show. Uh, like that one dog, uh, Snoop Eagle, he's so intense, it's unbelievable. Uh, he looks like, he's a Weimaraner Beagle mix. He looks like Lee Neeson. He does. He has a pointy nose, piercing blue eyes, and I imagine if he, he even barks like Liam Neeson, like he barks like, you know, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And, and, and if, if he could talk, I would be afraid because he would give me the phone call, the Liam Neeson call, like, you know, I want you there. I've been a beagle by my runner mix for 10 years. Be very careful, I'll tell you. I can run a, a bunny rabbit down and snap a second. Tell me where the pepperoni is in right now. Don't forget this call was ever made. Don't tell me. I will find you. I will find you. You know, he's got that intense look. So, so. It, you know, I mean, you're doing that. All I can think of is taken. The movie, the whole time you're doing that. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, that is, I feel that takes great 
talent to do that, but I also feel it is a big part of comedy. And you were mentioning about your show. Now, do you, do you, you know, how can people follow you now? Do you, what, what do you do now? The, the best way to follow me is on Facebook, on my fan page. If, they, if everyone out there could go to the Jim Kren, K-R-E-N and Jim Kren fan page on Facebook, uh, I do uh, a couple videos a week, and I always uh, put my podcast up there, Jim Crane, No Restrictions. And they could also get an app, Joyce, on, uh, on their phones. If they go to their app store, it's free. It's absolutely free. That's Jim Crane, No Restrictions. And I do a weekly show, uh, a podcast, a one-hour podcast, where I just basically do what I did on the radio, which is tell funny stories, tell about my life, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get funny stuff in the news. Nothing... Nothing political, nothing offensive. Uh, I try to keep it within FCC rules. I don't swear. So it's safe, you know, <laughs> around everyone. Uh, so I do this. They can get the, the Jim Crenn No Restrictions app or on Facebook. They can uh, check out the fan page, which I do have the, uh, the podcast up on there also along with the videos. Oh, that's awesome. Now, how about do you ever go out and perform anywhere? All over the country. It's been so much fun, uh, Joyce. I was just in Portland uh, two weeks ago. Uh, what an interesting uh, city. What a beautiful city. If anyone's listening out there from Portland, I love your city. Uh, just wonderful people, uh, you know, great restaurants, a great vibe to the place. So I, I travel a lot to, uh, all over the country and do comedy clubs and, and corporate gigs. Uh, my agent, Talent, uh, Talent Network in Pittsburgh, Dave Sotomar. I go to Los Angeles like every two months and perform out there uh, to do some showcase uh, stuff and, uh, and, and basically uh, do that. I'm in and out of town a lot, uh, on the road maybe uh, probably a third of the year is on the road, and the rest of the time is around here. I'll do small theaters around Pittsburgh. Okay, so my question is, because we no, we have listeners in 17 countries now, so hey, mm-hmm. just in case you two decide to go to Kazakhstan like me, my, yeah. my question is, can, when you go to the your Facebook page, would it show these places you're going to be? Yes, always gives uh, where I'm at, I always do that. Uh, you know, in the videos also, I'll mention where I'm going to be. And you know what the other fun thing is about the podcast? The podcast shows uh, who's listening, not who's, but how many listens from different areas of the world. And the funniest thing is, the greatest thing, I think, is, uh, and for some reason, my fourth or fifth most listener in Amsterdam. And I don't know why, but I, my friends in Amsterdam, hello. It's amazing. I have a lot of, in, in Egypt also, I have listeners in Egypt and I have, uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, so the uh, I don't know if they're transplanted Pittsburghers or they discovered the show through the app. I have no idea, but it's just uh, exciting when I see that, when I see these people from around the world. And that's the power of your show and the power of social media now. It's really amazing how it's connecting the world a little oh, smaller, yeah. a little more intimate. Yeah, it really so. is because... You know, I mentioned I have listeners in 17 countries. Okay, my big country is Ireland. And I, too, am not sure why, but I always, on every show, I applaud the people in Ireland because they're getting out there, spreading the news about disability and listening to people with disabilities. I mean, seeing them move forward and, you know, what they can accomplish and hear listening to them on my show, people that are successful. Uh, and I mean, I, I just really 
so impressed. And, you know, I want to say to you, all of you in Ireland, keep fighting that fight because you're helping more people in Ireland with disabilities uh, fight for quality of life. And now I'm going to be having a listening audience in Kazakhstan because I just went there only a week ago with the U.S. State Department to talk about the employment of people with disabilities. But you're right. Uh, So there you go. Anyone listening to this, no matter where you are, Ireland or Kazakhstan, now you know how to get that podcast. Um, So that is really great. That is amazing, though, isn't it? How today... It it really you know how you can reach out yes right and and, and you mentioned uh, uh, Ireland uh, which is one of my favorite places Dublin was one of my favorite cities Uh, God what a beautiful place Ireland is we're so kind and so friendly and hanging in the pubs with them Uh, I just couldn't get enough I can't wait to get back to Ireland it's so beautiful there the people are so nice really really nice loved loved it there Hello so there, Ireland. They're really on the. They're really, you know, they 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 really are listening a lot to this show, and as I said, that impresses me uh, so much. But I wanted I wanted to ask you, you know, in case our listeners don't know, Jimmy really is a superstar. He was on WVE Radio for 24 years. He was voted 14 times as the top entertainer in the city by Pittsburgh Magazine and was nominated by Billboard Magazine as one of the major market personalities of the year. Plus, he's been on TV and, you know, magazines and newspapers. Um, and, you know, I'm just so impressed with with you, Jimmy. And I'm also so glad that you shared with everyone about the podcast and how, how they can follow you. Um, I, I know you've talked about this before, but for our listeners, how, how did you first begin your career in entertainment? You know, how did you well, first get involved? Well, I, I started uh, when I was, I was in high school and I won a talent show. And I started winning talent shows. And after college, uh, I, I auditioned at the Pittsburgh Comedy Club. It was a, when the comedy club boom was starting. And I got the audition. And uh, they let me MC. And what happened was these clubs started just going up. Every, and every city was getting two and three comedy clubs. And it was cable TV was still this is early to mid '80s, so cable TV what didn't have comedy on everywhere. So the only place you could see an observational stand-up, you basically had to go to a comedy club. Uh, you could see some things on HBO back then, but it wasn't like now. Comedy Central didn't exist yet, so it packed the houses uh, just for unknown comedians like myself. So it gave me a, a, a place that I could learn the craft as I was actually entertaining people and the, and the pay was rather good. So I was able to make a full-time great living. So that's how I did. I started to branch out and work clubs all over the East Coast and in Northeast. And uh, a gentleman uh, named Rick Messina helped me a lot in New York. And I started working a little bit out of danger fields and, and working out of New York and then started just uh, uh, doing it for, it went for like seven years. I did it for like seven years, and what happened was I was ready to move to Los Angeles uh, full-time, and right before I moved, 
I had it set up to come home to Pittsburgh for, I knew once I moved to L.A., I wouldn't get back a lot, you know, it's a far ways, and I'd get back a couple times a year only. And to see family and friends, you know, a lot, because I was on the road for those seven years a lot also before that. So I came home, and I did a, a club here in Pittsburgh, and here, Joyce, it was tied in with WDVE. And at the time, the, the radio station was ranked 17th in the market. It was, it was dropped because they had lost the morning show a couple years earlier they had. So what happened was I went on as a guest, and I did some voice impressions and the characters, and, and they liked it. So they, kept, they said, would you come back again the next week after I did a guest spot for this uh, promoting this club date that I was doing? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I like radio. It was, it, I was doing it every once in a while in the comedy clubs. I'd have to promote the show in each city, but it was just for a few minutes. But this was sitting there for a couple hours doing radio, and I really liked it. I mean, it was a lot of fun, the theater of the mind. I started thinking of potential, and that station had 50,000 watts. So I knew that it had a potential to reaching a lot of people. It went through Maryland, parts of Ohio, you know, Western PA, and Pittsburgh here, obviously. And it, what happened was... After I got the gig, uh, within a year, they went from 17 to first, and I had 800,000 listeners. So with 800,000 people listening, it was pretty amazing uh, for me as a young man uh, to have that many listeners and that kind of following uh, for my comedy. And it was the wildest thing, you know, to walk out and you know, have people recognize you or recognize your comedy. And the coolest thing was... Uh, to be able to uh, touch people's lives with it. You, amazing how, you, you know, was it, I, I, realized, I didn't realize it till then how healing it could be, you know, pe- for people out there listening, how healing it could be to have someone, maybe a familiar voice. In the comedic, and comedically, I'll never forget, Joyce, there was this young lady called, uh, my first year on, and she said, Jim, thanks for making me laugh from 8.30 in the morning till 9. And I said, why? She goes, well, I have to drive to get my dialysis. I just found out I have kidney disease, and it just gets me there. And I, it just hit me. And I'll never forget that, and I never will, on how important it is and what we're doing, and how, which, what an honor it is to be able to be on the radio and what we, what we do. We have to, you know, I had to get that, that girl there, uh, you know, and, I, and I always thought of that throughout my career. You know, there's someone else out there I have to get to wherever they have to get to. If I'm their, the comedic thing, to get their mind off thing, things, just make them laugh a little bit. You know, I, that's my job. That my job isn't is just is is comedian's job is to heal. Actually, to try to heal people in a sense or get them through the day. You know, that that's that's what the job. So that's kind of how it all started. Wow, what a story! How powerful! I can't imagine the impact that had on you. And I, by the way, before we go to break. I, I, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I want to tell you how I became friends with Jimmy. As you all know, I'm living with epilepsy, and uh, I am the vice chair of the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. But I've been involved on this board for a very, very long time, and we have a walk every year, and, you know, you'll see like Abby's Army. They had like 100 and some walkers. And Abby's this little little girl with very significant epilepsy. She's nonverbal, you know, has a difficult time. Uh, she, she's not ambulatory. Uh, and her father, who is Alan Shuckrove, who's also on our board, gets this huge group of people out there. 
and then there are a lot of other children, you know, with epilepsy. And, you know, there are some people that have lost their uh, child. And I know Jimmy knows this because we give out these scholarships uh, awards. And it's a lot of times the, the, the money is given by parents who have lost their child to sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. So this is how I met Jimmy, because he's so wonderful that every year he comes with another uh, local TV star, Andrew Stocky, and every year he comes and spends the whole time there and gives out shirts, you know, as people come around the hallway with the walker run uh, and spends time talking to Anyone there that wants to, and he, you know, I know he doesn't realize this, but he, you have no many idea, Jimmy, how many people say to me, "Oh, is that Jim Cren?" And, and you know, and they're so so thrilled that he's there and that he comes. And this is how I got the tie-in to uh, to Jim Cren with disability. And with that, we're going to go to break. Uh, And then we'll be back with Advocacy Matters, our weekly on the half hour news update on what's going on in the world of disability today. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Perry Jude Radisick and Advocacy Matters News. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone. We have our Fabulous guest with us, Jimmy Crin, uh, comedian and radio star. Uh, but as all of my listeners know, every half hour, we have Perry Jude Radisick, Advocacy Matters, giving us an update in the news. So, Perry, what do you have to talk to us about today? Well, Joyce, there were so many things uh, to pick from. Uh, Congress is back. And Arkansas tossed off of its Medicaid expansion rolls 
4,500 people last week. So we have a lot to, uh, we had a lot to cover and we'll cover those issues in upcoming shows. But what's really important and I think why advocacy matters so much, it really matters for a hurricane like Florence. And we have people with disabilities who are looking at the hurricane and wondering if emergency preparedness and first responders are ready to help them. And I know for decades, disability advocates like us have worked with federal, state, and local emergency management and first responders to ensure that people with disabilities are not left behind when disaster strikes. We have worked with Red Cross shelters to make sure they're accessible. Group residences now have evacuation plans in place. Transportation should be available to evacuate all people, including people with disabilities. And we have numerous emergency preparedness guides that have been written and distributed so that we know how to prepare for a situation just like Hurricane Florence. And these guides have been written and prepared by the University Centers on Excellence for Developmental Disabilities, funded by the Developmental Disabilities Councils in all of these states. Hurricane Florence is absolutely going to be a test of our advocacy and the implementation of all those policies and practices that we've worked so hard to put in place for people with disabilities. There's over 23 million people that are in that direct path of Hurricane Florence. If you count South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. About 9% of those people are people with disabilities. That's 2.1 million people with disabilities in that direct path. So that's a lot of people with disabilities in the path of high wind, storm surges, and significant flooding. There's a lot of resources that are available to help. We've got them all posted on our website. There's a disasterassistance.gov has a brief questionnaire from FEMA that will provide a list of places for you to look and call for assistance if you need it. In North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, they all have emergency management websites that will give you the latest on where your local shelters are located, what are the evacuation routes, and how to find them, and how to access transportation. So the disability community has also put a lot of effort into writing guides. The Southeast ADA Center has prepared an emergency preparedness guide for much of the south, south, southeast, including South and North Carolina, and the Virginia Commonwealth University published a guide for Virginia. Now, I want to say, and all of this is posted on our website, which is disabilityrightspa.org. And then if you find barriers on your path to safety, you have to report those to our Disability Rights Network. 
because we are the place where we can do something about that to remedy that. We also, on our website, have links to the Protection and Advocacy for People with Disabilities in South Carolina, Disability Rights North Carolina, and the Disability Law Center for Virginia. We have all of that on our website where you can call and email them uh, to report any uh, allegations of discrimination or barriers on your way to safety. Again, all of this can be found on our website at disabilityrightspa.org. Advocacy matters, and in times like this, we want those policies and practices that our community works so hard to put in place to matter. So we hope everybody in the path of Hurricane Florence gets to safety, and we hope our advocacy matters to today and through the rest of this week, Joyce. Wow, this is so, I'm so glad you talked about this, Perry Jude. This is so extremely uh, important and, of course, pertinent and relevant right now. I do have just a couple questions for you. Uh, if, if you live in one of these areas, uh, do you have any idea, do you feel that this is all in place equally or do we not know uh, you know what I'm you're in a wheelchair and you need help and you can't get out I mean how how is this how is this all together for people with disabilities yeah you know uh, I, I think it's going to vary county by county and uh, state by state certainly some states look like they had it together better than others uh, and so um, I think we're going to find it hit and miss, uh, honestly, through throughout these communities. So, uh, again, if, if you know somebody with a disability and, and you live in one of these states and you, 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 you check on them, make sure that they have a path to safety, and if they don't, call the protection and advocacy system so that we can intervene and get some help. Call us. And, you know, they're all supposed to have uh, an interpreter, you know, on the screen where you can see a uh, sign language interpreter. If you're deaf, because this show is, of course, open captioned, I'm just wondering, how about that person? What should they do? I yeah, guess they should just, every, I'm sorry. So, so Joyce, uh, at least all of the governor's uh, press conferences have been signed, and I know all of the state emergency management press conferences have had ASL interpreters. Again, at the local level, I, I don't know how far down that goes, and I don't know what's happening at the shelters. Uh, the shelter should be opening today. Okay. So one more time, the website? Yes. Go to our website at disabilityrightspa.org, and we will have information about North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia uh, and how to get to that information and their emergency preparedness. And, and as well as uh, FEMA and disasterassistance.gov, where you can enter your information about where you're at and find local resources for you. And again, 
If you find barriers, we also have information about our local protection and advocacy agencies where you can report those barriers. Wow. Well, um, I so appreciate you going over this. And, you know, I'm very honored uh, to be a trustee of the board. And I just want to say, see this really important work that they're doing and the Perry Jude is doing? You need money to do all of this. So please take time to go to that uh, Disability Rights Pennsylvania and make a contribution. And Perry Jude, thank you so much for what you're doing. Sure. We'll continue to follow this, Joyce. Uh, We'll give an update on how things went. We'll stay in touch with our sister agencies, and uh, we'll certainly let your listeners know if uh, there were any major problems. Okay, good, good. Thanks, Perry Jude. Hey, thanks, and thanks to me for your advocacy, too. Ah, thank you. My honor. Thank you. Sure. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Jimmy, isn't it, there's things you don't even think about, you know, that that a lot of people uh-huh. don't think about. But, like, if you know someone in one of these areas, for example, uh, that uses a wheelchair or is blind or deaf, whatever it is, you should take time to reach out and say, hey, do you need any help? Because Absolutely. it would be a terrible thing to be left behind. Jimmy, do you have... Uh, uh, since you have so many listeners also, you know, do you want to mm-hmm. say anything about this? Yes, I, I agree, Joyce. So we're all in this together, and, uh, it, you know, you have to reach out and help uh, uh, because uh, the, the people out there listening that are, that are disabled, uh, they help us in so many ways. They're warriors. I look at people disabled as warriors. Uh, uh, one of my best friends uh, I befriended uh, when he was in Children's Hospital uh, in just what he's gone through. And when I call him, he's, all, he's in his 20s now, and we're best friends. I talk to him all the time. But when I, I could be down and out and depressed. When I call him, he picks me up. He picks me up. And I, I always tell him, I say, Eric, you're a warrior, man. What you've been through, you're a warrior. You know, so, yeah, so to, to help out, we, we have to help out. We have to all pitch in. We're all in this together. Uh, and, and, you know, I just, it's, it's amazing what the people that are disabled out there do for, for everyone. Because they give. Mm-hmm. They really do. Well, you know, uh, there was something I wanted to talk about before the end of the show today. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, I was reading an article the other day. And what it was about is the future demise of talk traditional talk radio. And what they were mm-hmm. referring to is, of course, uh, you know, in your car, you know, how you have access to talk radio, you know, with uh, Alexa, with, you know, Google, with all of this social media today, what we're doing right now, to be honest with you, what we're doing right now. And my question to you is, you know, what are your thoughts about that? You know, do, do you think that is a serious uh, issue to think about? Do you think that talk radio, they somehow have to become more relevant in order to all these young people today and millennials and keep them interested? What, what's your opinion? I, I, think, I think talk radio will, will always live on. But it'll, it'll, it's, just, it's just transforming. It's just going to change in a corporate type way of listening because we're listening now more on the Internet. But I think because of the Internet, 
it's become a little it's less corporate and you could be more freer. You could have more talent out there, more choices. So I think talk radio is going to thrive because of the internet, because of social media and podcasts and things like that. I think traditional, uh, the traditional radio we have will always survive to a degree, but as the, as the technology changes, yes, I do think we're going to switch over more to the internet, even in our cars, we're going to have more choices. It's just going to give the audience more choices. But I think as far as talk radio, it will survive and thrive, actually. We're just going to have more choices, uh, more talent out there, and it's going to be more entertaining for people. Uh, it's just going to be fragmented a little bit as far as more choices, but I think it's going to still survive and thrive. It's just in a different way, just with new technology. Uh, th- that's the only difference. It really won't, won't go away, let's put it that way. It's just going to get bigger, but just like I said, in the new technology way, that's all. Yeah. But that still is a change from what we think of mm-hmm. as traditional radio. Do you know what I mean? But Oh, yeah. But, as you just said, look how many people we can reach on talk radio. Yes. You know, look how many people with your podcast, you know, can be reached. So yes. it's just a yeah. new day. I mean, I'm not meaning it will totally go away, uh, but I do think there will be a change. I do think that. Absolutely. And, and for the better, though, because what will happen is, you know, these new cars and the, the way cars are now, and that's the main uh, audience, I think, for, for talk radio being a, a lot of the cars uh, going in to and from work or driving around. I just think because they can get the Internet now in their cars, uh, that's why I think it'll, it'll change, yes, but it'll change for the better. They're going to be able to get, you know, your show will be, you'll have more listeners on your show, more listeners on, more listeners on, on other shows. Uh, yeah, they won't have to have a corporation holding them, you know, to, to certain, you know, ways. They'll be more free, in other words. So I think it's mm-hmm. going to be great. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be great. Um, you know, before break, I was talking about how I met you uh, and how you come to that walk every year, which always so impresses me. Uh, and, and you also, I know, you got a uh, lifetime Achievement Award from Animal Friends. So, first of all, I guess that you love animals, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's just a great organization. Uh, it's been around forever. I grew up in the Strip District, an area in Pittsburgh, uh, right by downtown. And Animal Friends, growing up, I, I lived in a little alleyway apartment. We weren't allowed to have dogs or anything. So I'd walk down to Animal Friends. As a kid, and, I, and all those dogs were my dogs, those shelter dogs. I could not visit them. So uh, after I got on the radio and I started to see the power of the radio and, and being known that I could help others, uh, you know, that was one of the charities that I helped because uh, I saw all the good they do, uh, not only getting people pets, but they also have different programs where they train dogs uh, for uh, uh, veterans that, that come home from war. Uh, it, post-traumatic stress disorder, and they also have uh, dogs they bring to the hospitals to visit people because, you know, if someone's in a hospital, they can't have their pet there, obviously, so they have these, these dogs can come in and visit, and I have a friend in a senior home where they bring, you know, they bring dogs to the senior home, so it, it's definitely uh, a powerful organization. They, they touch a lot of people with these animals, and these animals are so innocent and, and so pure, so yeah, it was easy to get involved with them. They're, they do great work there, wonderful work, really enjoy wow. it. Well, that's great. That's interesting, by the way. Interesting story of how 
you know, how you came to be focused on them. That's that's really something. But I, I, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, giving back is important to you across the board. And, and so why is that? You know, you, you do do a lot of charity work. Well, why, why do you do that? You know, you know, it's it's, it's like getting back to I say my my friend Eric earlier. It's it's like a give and take in a sense. Uh, you know, I actually, you know, want to give because it's what I get uh, it, from helping these organizations. Uh, you just see, you get such reward from seeing. Uh, you know, like we do the epilepsy walk. I've done it almost twenty years, so you get to see these families where uh, the the money that went to the, to to research helped. You know, a, a child grow up, and now I see the child in their teens, they're in high school, and they're playing ball and all that stuff. And you just start, to, the reward is amazing when you see that, you know. Uh, and like I said, with my disabled friends, it's just so powerful what they give me as far as perspective. I was talking earlier in the show about, you know, depression and stuff like that. George, I was, I remember being depressed about three weeks ago. I was doing this promotion. I was down and out. I said some personal stuff, and I'm sitting there, woe at me, myself. And I'm sitting there, and the guy next to me, he was, he's a guy who used to listen to me, and he was in a wheelchair. And we were talking in his chair, and, and he's disabled. I said, we're talking how that happened. He said he fell off a ladder 10 years ago. And, so, and, and, and he was happy as could be. I mean, happy as could be, attacking life. And I told him, I said, man, you just healed me. You just healed me right now. I was depressed. I'm not now. Because I watched this person fighting. You know, that's what I meant with a warrior. A warrior. You know, they're fighting. They're showing me. They're showing us the way. That, you know, everybody has a card. And they're, they're, he's saying, this guy's just telling me, hey, Jimmy, I got a card. I'm dealing with it. And you could deal with whatever yours is. Deal with it, man. And it's just a powerful thing. So it's easy to get involved with these organizations and charities because I get so much out of it. I don't really think I'm giving – I should give more, actually. I get, I get way more, in other words, out of working with these organizations and meeting these people th- than I give. I actually give way more, uh, way more enlightenment. I get way more inspired. Uh, they, they heal me in so many ways. The, the people I've met through these organizations, the charities, the Epilepsy Foundation or, or Diabetes Foundation or, or even Animal Friends or, or, or any organization I work with, it's just, it's just amazing how they heal me, which is, which is a wild thing. You know, I, they, they give yeah. more than I, than I give, I think. Really I don't do. know about that, but you you are really a good person. I will tell you, you've got to go. Give me that. What is your Facebook page again? I just go to Jim Crenn fan page uh, on Facebook. And also, if they could go on the app store and you could get the Jim Crenn No Restrictions uh, app. And every week I put out a podcast. I hope everybody tries out the podcast. It's, it's free. Just go in the app store. Just get Jim Crenn. Type in, you know, uh, K-R-E-N-N, no restrictions, you'll see it'll come up, and just tap it, and you'll get it for free, and I hope you listen. It's been fun to do the podcast. Really enjoy it. I enjoy it. I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime, whenever you can. I'd love to have you on. Oh, I would love to be, but I, I would love to be, and I will, but I just want to say, Jim Crenn. K-R-E-N-N, go to get that podcast and tell other people about it because you will love it. And you know what? Isn't it great to follow a nice person? I always like to promote people that are good people, and he is a good person. So, uh, Jim, before we end the show today, I wanted to ask you, uh, over the past year, 
What what would you say you've been the proudest of? What accomplishment over the past year? I think that without a doubt, uh, the the proudest is uh, the fact that that I get to do seriously the get to do uh, all the charity work that I've gotten to do. Really, that's the proudest thing I could do. I think that's why God gave uh, me or anybody any kind of notoriety is to use for that, because we're all in this together. I swear to you, that is the proudest thing I can do, uh, all the charity work. And, it, and it's, not re- it's not really charity work, I should say. Like, you know, I'll be doing a golf tournament or something. You know, I did a golf tournament uh, uh, for a uh, woman's shelter, and they're thanking me, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not really Mother Teresa here. I'm golfing, you know, it's nice. But I think the proudest is that I get to, uh, to use that notoriety that I've been given uh, to help the organizations that I get to help. I think that is definitely the proudest thing, and, and, and the, the main reason uh, why I exist is to do that, I think, is to help to help others. And you serve others, it just gives you such enrichment, and it's given me such happiness. So it's definitely the proudest thing, the charity uh, organizations that I get to work with, like Epilepsy Foundation and all the other places I get to work with. really is. See what I mean when I, when I told you that he's a good person? Well, Jim, I, wa- I want to thank you for being with us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Joy, thank you so much. It's my honor, and I uh, thank everyone out there for listening. I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you, Joyce, for all you do. I really do. Thanks, Joyce. Well, we end every show with a quote, and today it's Governor Cox. And he said, in life, ask yourself this one question, is it right? And if it is, do something about it. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.